I had someone ask me about volunteering for the local church. How do you motivate your people to volunteer to serve in your local church? It was such a good question that I thought I would devote a podcast to it and an article as well. And so if you want to read the things that I'm going to share with you, here's what I need for you to do. Look for this title on our website, How to Motivate Church People to Volunteer. Thank you so much for joining me for the podcast. I am Rick Thomas, and I'm glad to do this for you. If I can answer any of your questions, please jump on our free community forums and let us know. We have active forums that are always available 24 hours a day, every day of the year. We are here to serve you. Again, the title of the podcast is How to Motivate Church People to Volunteer. Volunteering to serve in a local church and within the surrounding community is at the heart of the gospel. Jesus best capsulated the idea of how the gospel connects to serving in Mark 10:45. He said it this way, for even the son of man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The heart of Christ and thus the heart of the gospel is to serve others. You could say it this way, The non-serving Christian is an oxymoron. Paul said it this way in Philippians 2. You're quite familiar with this passage of Scripture as he communicates Christ, the heart of the gospel, the first missionary who came to our place to become like us and to serve us. He said this, Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves, Let each of you look not only to his own interest. I like how he says that. He doesn't say you should never look to your own interest. You better look to your own interest because here's what will happen to the, for the person who serves too much. They don't say no. They don't take care of themselves. They can neglect their family. They can neglect their health. They can neglect their spiritual well-being. And so Paul says, let each of you look not only to your own interest, meaning you better manage your own time. You better learn the value of saying no. But he continues on by saying, but also look to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. The Christian who does not have the heart to serve others has a functional gospel breakdown of the mind. Something is wrong with their thinking. To not help others is the antithesis of what Christ has done for you and for me. I love this verse in Matthew 18.33 about the man who, who owed a lot and was forgiven a lot, who beat up the guy who owed little. You know the story. But he says this in Matthew 18.33, And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant, as I had mercy on you. You see the heart of the gospel in that, in that question there. You want to do as Jesus has done to you. In, in Matthew 18, he's talking about forgiveness. In the context of this podcast, I'm talking about serving. Notice how Paul appealed to us to have the mind of Christ, the heart of the gospel. He is implying that not to have a servant's heart is not to have the thinking of Christ. You could say the non-serving Christian has a spiritual mental illness. That's a, a complicated construct. If your local church is predominantly 
a non-serving local assembly, then here are a few things that I want you to consider, and I, I do hope that this list of things that I'm going to share with you will be a benefit to you. The first thing that I would want to put out there is you have to have a gospel vision. You really do. I've been talking about that thus far. The the gospel, Christ, the heart of Christ, the mind of Christ. He didn't come here to be served, but to serve. And so the most important consideration is whether or not your church has provided a gospel vision that ties directly to the idea of serving. Serving, first of all, is a leadership issue. And that's why I'm starting there. I'm not starting with your people. I'm starting with you, the leader. I'm starting with the gospel vision. Have you connected the gospel to serving? Serving, first of all, is a leadership issue. People need well-thought-out guidance on what it means to connect the gospel to everyday life. You connect the gospel to so many things. In this podcast, I'm connecting it to serving. This is a leader's job. People need explicit instruction on how to make the functional gospel alive within their sphere of influence. You could say you should be gospel-centered in this and that and the other, and people are like, well, okay, that sounds good, but it also sounds theoretical. It sounds like a bumper sticker. How does it uh, How does it apply to me functionally, practically? They need to understand how the heart of the gospel is serving. The Christian aims to make the name of Jesus big in his world, and you do this by helping others. And so one of the most effective ways to cast this vision is from the pulpit. Think about it this way. The teaching pastors have a captive audience every week who gather for instruction about the vision and the mission of Christ. And so these people come together. They know what they're going to get. Oh, there's going to be worship. There's going to be fellowship. There's going to be all sorts of things that happen in that gathering on Sunday morning but they also expect to hear teaching from the pulpit. And so you you can think of it this way. You have a captive audience. And so you can use your pulpit time in part as an opportunity to explain this missional vision of Christ, of coming to serve others. Are the other-centered expectations of the gospel taught from your pulpit? When people hear your messages, do they hear the other-centered expectations of the gospel? Another question you can use to assess yourself as a leader, is your church body transforming into an army of servants? And I do want to pump the brakes here one more time by saying that we want to start with the leaders before we get fussy or get frustrated with those people who aren't serving. How is it happening functionally in your life? This is also the way that you would assess family dynamics, too. If my children aren't doing as I would hope they would do, as being in line with the gospel, the teaching of the Bible, then the first place to assess is not them, but to assess me. How am I doing? How am I doing in my instruction? How am I doing in my modeling of the very thing that I'm asking them to do? And so at first, I mentioned the gospel vision. Is it clear and explicit, practical, functional, and weekly coming from the pulpit? But the second thing here, and, and honestly, in my view, this is more important, is your gospel example. 
The church membership will, for the most part, reflect the heart and the attitude of the church leadership. They will. Children do the same thing with parents. They either model what the parents are teaching them or they they reject it. But there is a response to the leadership inside the home, and there is a response, a reaction to the leadership in the local church. Now, this worldview means if the church leadership is not setting the pace in serving others, do not expect the membership to be anything different from what the leaders are are proving by their example. Now, I know that that some children within a family can can be God lovers in spite of their parents, and and many church members can be wonderful servants in spite of the leadership. But you do not want to neglect or overlook your gospel example. And so when I talk to pastors about leading others well, one of the questions I ask them is, what do you want your people to be? Give me a list. Talk to me about what you want your people to be. And perhaps they would say, I would love to see our our church folks to be more effective servants within this local community and also uh, local church community and also within the greater community. But then I follow up by asking that question. I say, whatever you want them to be, you must already be that in practice. You see, leadership is an example to the flock. Listen to 1 Peter 5.3. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Never ask, am I an example I mean, it sounds like a good question on the surface, but the truth is you, you are an example. And so rather than asking, am I an example, you need to probe this way. What kind of example am I? We all are examples, either for good or bad. If I were pastor in the church and the people were not serving well, the first things I would examine would be my own heart and my life. Now, the reason I say that is because, as I said earlier, when it's not happening in my family, that's what Rick and Lucia have historically done. We would examine ourselves first to see where we are failing in some areas that we could change. And so you want to ask this question. You want to examine your own heart and life. This perspective is another angle on Matthew 7. Three, four, five, you know, the log in your eye and the speck in theirs. If I'm not modeling the thing I want others to become, I must first change. It would be hypocritical for me to want others to serve while I'm not setting the pace by my example. The title of the podcast is How to Motivate Church People to Volunteer. The first two points that I've made here, one, you must establish a gospel vision And you can do that from the pulpit, and you can do it from other places as well. I'll talk more about that later. And then the second thing, which, again, I think is the most important thing, you start with your own example. Are you modeling the servant attitude, the heart of Christ before your people? The third thing I want to talk about is the church demographic. Churches have different philosophies regarding the makeup of their constituency, Some churches are predominantly made up of people with affirmed and authenticated faiths. As much as one can discern personal regeneration, I realize that's a subjective assessment, but the membership is primarily you're born again, 
and they try to affirm and authenticate that. And so there is a greater makeup of, of genuine believers as much as you can sub- subjectively assess. And then other churches are on the other end of the spectrum where they are seeker-sensitive. The church with a tighter filter will have an easier time motivating their membership to serve because regenerate people, for the most part, will be more inclined to serve. But if you are made up of a seeker-sensitive church, then you have you have all kinds of people across the demographic spectrum, and, and you could have a harder time uh, motivating people to serve. I've been part of of this type of church that is, has a tighter filter, and I have found it to be an enjoyable experience to have so many joy-filled servers in the church. But the downside to this model is that it caters to a narrower demographic, and it can be authoritarian. And what can happen is, as far as authoritarian, is you're almost made to serve or intimidated to serve, and fear of man can come into play in an authoritarian model. But also with this tighter demographic, they can be less missional and more ingrown, more cultic when the filter is tighter. But if you lower the bar by by not making much of membership, which tends to grow more attenders than members, the number of people with servants' hearts will be less. Now, I have no answer for these two outcomes. These are two philosophical church models. Each church will have to decide the kinds of people that they want to attract. The church in which we are members currently is a is a whosoever will policy, so to speak. It's not that loosey-goosey, but it's not a seeker-sensitive model by no stretch of the imagination. But there is not a tight, tight authoritarian filter on who can be char- a part of the body. And so the upside to our model is somewhere in between the authoritarian, authenticated faith model where we're scrutinizing and examining your salvation, and the seeker-sensitive model, we're somewhere in the middle. And the upside is that a lot of people can hear the gospel preached each week, but you also know what the downside could be. You can have more consumers come through the doors than active servants. And so as you think about this idea of motivating your people to volunteer, you need to think about your church demographic. What kind of people does your church attract? And then here's a subjective question. What percentage of your church is regenerated? That does matter. Let's move on to personal busyness. Being busy, not having time to volunteer at the local church. Being busy is not the best way to frame the problem when it comes to thinking about why people do not serve. The question is never about being too busy. It is always about personal value choices. What is it that you value? You see, we all are busy. You'll be hard-pressed to find a non-busy person in a first-world country, even if it is the person who watches 20 or more hours of television gag. I can't even fathom that. I know we live in a world that does that. In fact, it's a lot more than 20 hours. It's so hard to fathom. But they are busy, they are busy watching television, and that is the predominant how, allotment of how they spend their time. Or they spend excessive amount of time on Facebook or playing video games, which is 
also, it's just so hard for me to fathom why anybody does that. But the truth is, everybody is busy. And so the better metric is to examine where people spend their time. Not saying, well, we're busy. Again, that's not the best way to frame it. You, you want to examine where people spend their time. And once you figure out where they spend their time, you'll find their heart treasure. The thing they value the most is 621 Matthew. You heard it many times. The words of Jesus, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth will speak. Jesus is always connecting the heart to the behavior. And in 621 of Matthew, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If you work from the premise that everyone is busy, what you want to do is look inside their calendars, inside their schedules, inside their routines and time management practices. For example, let me illustrate. A new convert will have no time allotted for incarnating Jesus because they didn't know Jesus until recently. They filled their schedule with the things from their former manner of life. Play the tape back before you were saved. For me, it's easier to do. I was 25 years old. And so my days were spent with all kinds of things, watching a lot of television, doing a lot of bicycle riding, doing a lot of running and a lot of working and a lot of other things, but I wasn't doing anything about serving. I didn't have a category, I didn't have a category for that other than serving myself. And so a new convert, they may have no time allotted. You want to think about that. You may also have people who have not heard a gospel vision for serving Without this vision, like the new convert, they filled their lives with themselves. You know, it's kind of like, you know, you, 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 you take something out and something automatically fills in there. As they learn a new way to live, they, they may realize there is no room in their calendars for incarnating Jesus, and so they decide to change. And so you talk about the selfish Christian or the new convert, both of them have have filled their lives with, with things that are geared toward loving themselves most of all. Now, perhaps you have others who have over-obligated themselves in things that they cannot extricate themselves from at this time. You want to be patient with them. Maybe it will take a while for them to move from a self-centered calendar to a gospel-centered one. Here's the key idea. Everybody should be busy especially a Christian. An unbusy Christian is another oxymoron. The real issue is whether or not they have created time and space to incarnate the Savior in their spheres of influence. And so this idea of personal busyness, you want to get inside of it rather than just, you know, fussing at people for being busy. You better be busy. I hope you are busy. If you have a teachable, busy person, uh, you'll have more hope for that person than the lazy person that you have to get off the couch to do something. But then here's another category for you, personal ignorance. Could it be that the Christian does not know how to serve? You never know what all their perceptions of the church are. Perhaps they see the church like a corporation. You know, the hired staff does the work and the, the attenders consume what the paid workers provide. 
Maybe that's their view of the local church. Or what about this? Maybe they are tentative about putting themselves forward regarding their gifting. We're talking about fear of man here. Perhaps the church member is not aware of the needs of the body or how they could fill those needs. Maybe have a, a tentative church member with the gifting. I think there's people, there, there's people who volunteer for us like that. They finally step across that line and they, they say, hey, I have a, a particular gift. Can I help you? We would like to serve you. That's a fantastic thing, but everybody doesn't do that. They can be tentative. Or maybe they have a tight definition of serving, meaning they see serving as something you do on Sunday mornings between 10 and 12, rather than a 24-7 opportunity, no matter where you are. I'll talk more about that in just a moment. But all of these dilemmas regarding ignorance, this is what we're talking about, personal ignorance. It could be solved by normal vision casting on Sunday mornings as well as other equipping meetings as you gather in the church. You should never assume that because you said it one time that everyone knows they are called to serve. Calling people to serve should be said so many times that serving-type language becomes part of the church's culture's way of communicating with each other. How may I serve you? That is a common expression in our home. And if you listen to any of my podcasts, I mean, after a while, you see that theme, especially at the end, how may we serve you? It would be a joy to do so. That is common serving type language. And you should use that language or similar phraseology. It should be common speak in any local assembly. The title of the podcast, How to Motivate Church People to Volunteer. I talked about a gospel vision. I talked about a gospel example I talked about looking inside your church demographic, because there's different church philosophies, and then I talked about personal busyness. Everybody is busy. You want to get inside of that and see what that busyness means. And then there can be personal ignorance, and now I want to talk about personal selfishness. One of the hardest things to overcome in getting people to serve is their selfishness. Selfishness is the gospel's kryptonite. Whether you're talking about serving or something else, nothing will kill the good causes of the gospel like a selfish heart. Our hedonistic heartstrings are double-knotted to the things of this world. We are the ones we love the most, and that is every person's battle. No exceptions. Servanthood cuts against the grain of the selfish heart. And this bondage means the serving battle cry must be a multi-angled assault against the human spirit that is held captive by selfish tendencies. And so gospel envisioning from the pulpit is a start. Modeling it from the leadership is another example. Teaching it in as many contexts as you can will also help. But one of the essential areas to infiltrate your community with the servant mantra is the home. Think about that. You see, our churches are made up of families, and as each family begins to grasp and live out the servant's mindset, the local body will start transforming. And so if there is personal selfishness in the church, back it up. You're probably going to see, in fact, you will see personal selfishness in the home. And then I want to add this. Do not prejudge. Be careful about being frustrated with non-serving people. There are reasons they do not serve. I've mentioned several of them already. 
Every non-servant is not the same. You must assess and help each person according to where they are with the Lord and where they need to go with Him. Do not make blanket assumptions or statements about the whole church or even about individuals who do not seem to be serving well. If 80% of the people are not doing the work, do not assume it is because they are defiant. Perhaps they have come from an abusive church culture. I came from an abusive church culture, and when I showed up at my big mega church and was asked to serve, I said no. I was not defiant. I was beat up, bruised, bloody, (laughs) abused. Maybe they have been hurt by Christianity, and they have come to you broken and struggling, looking for a place to rest. Perhaps they are burned out. Maybe they do not trust the church because of what happened to them in the past. You never know all the reasons a person does not practically engage the church and community with a servant's heart. The most useful thing you can do is build a relationship with the church members with the hope of having a future, of having future conversations with them. You want to envision them about the about practically applying the gospel according to how the Lord has gifted and equipped them. To assume without asking questions is unkind and it's also naive. And finally, let me finish this with this point here, a narrow definition. To serve others does not mean where to volunteer exclusively at the local church facility or property. There are more places to meet needs than the local church functions or at the building. Christ served everywhere he went. You do not know what every one of your church attendees is doing. Just because you do not see them serving in specific or needed areas, it does not mean they are not doing anything. I have this tension myself. There is never a day that goes by where I'm not serving this, serving you all in this ministry somehow. And I do have that challenge of serving in the local church because I do this I mean, it can be up to 18 hours a day where I am serving the body of Christ in some way. And so just because they're not serving at the facility doesn't mean that they aren't serving. You should not narrow incarnating the gospel to just working at the church. That would be a short-sighted and and self-limiting vision for the gospel. Christians should be serving everywhere they go, even while on vacation. Maybe you could ask the question this way. Is there a time or place where I should not act like Christ? Hmm, let me think. Not. Servant Christ never stopped serving others. We also should never stop. And so the real question is what kind of serving are you doing? There are only two categories, self-serving or other serving. And if you want to adhere to and obey the two greatest commandments, to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love others as yourself, then the proper category is being other-centered. The truth is that every person in your church is serving. What you want to do is to teach them how to be less self-centered and more other-centered. It is the difference between being gospelized and and non-gospelized. Here are a few questions that you can ask as you 
meditate or reflect upon this podcast. Number one, if you want to get the ball rolling by talking to others about serving, then start here. Number one, what are your gifts? Here we go. What are your gifts? Just ask them, what are your gifts? How has the Lord gifted you? Number two, if you could do anything for your local church, what would it be? I ask this question sometimes when people come here. What are your gifts? How has the Lord gifted you? If you could serve, if you want to serve our ministry, what would it be? Question number three, what do you enjoy doing? I think that's really important because if people are doing what they enjoy to do, you don't have to wind them up. You don't have to motivate them. They're self-motivated because they're doing the very thing they love to do. If you put me in a ministry that I really just don't care for or I don't have the gifting for, it's going to be hard work, and I'll not be motivated, and I'll probably procrastinate. Question number four, what keeps you from using your gifts in our church? Question five, what are some of the things you do that we might be able to implement in our family? That's a family question as you begin to revitalize your family if it needs revitalizing. And then finally, the last question, when it comes to volunteering in your local church, what thoughts do you have about that? Now, you can read these sample questions that I have here, and you're welcome to share these, use these, tweak them, change them, however you wish. But the title of the podcast is How to Motivate Church People to Volunteer. You can read the whole thing. You can study these different elements that I brought out to you. And, of course, use these sample questions. One of the most effective contexts for discussions on serving is it was with a small group of friends. If there is training for small group leaders in connecting the gospel to serving, and if they can train their small groups, the local church can experience an amazing transformation. And as always, if you want to talk about this, please let us know. It would be a joy to serve you. Your Daily Drive is a production of rickthomas.net, a global community that is seeking to live more productive and inspiring lives. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please go to rickthomas.net. RickThomas.net.